Hello and welcome to the Old Time Radio Forever broadcast. I'm your host, Matt Perry. Join us weekly as we explore the golden era of American radio through the dramas, westerns, mysteries, and comedies that shaped the golden age. Be sure to give us a thumbs up or a five-star review on all of the podcast directories that you may use. Hello and welcome to today's episode of Old Time Radio Forever. Today, we explore one of the most gifted storytellers of the 20th century. Gene Shepard was a mainstay of New York City AM and eventually FM radio, especially on his late night show on WOR. Gene Shepard had the gift of being able to take what would seem like a mundane topic and make it engrossing. Shepard had a huge task before him, five days a week, a few hours to spin tales and to entertain the masses. Tonight, we go back to 1965, and we hear a story of Gene's hometown of Hammond, Indiana, on old-time radio forever. century to you. Happy Monday, dear fellow sufferer. Happy Monday to you. Bring it all the way up there, gang. Let's all sing together now on the second chorus, and let's see who can blow the candles out with one breath. Happy Monday to you. Time for that jazz. Cut that theme. That's enough of that stuff. We don't have enough time. It's there's just too much to say and not enough time to say it in. Uh, George, the season is open. The Mets started off. Not yet. We'll use that later. <laughs> it's all right. You just hang it in there. The Mets start off now. They're 35 games out of first. Everything is normal. I feel good. The Yankees kicked one away, and the season is off and running. And you know, speaking of the season. Invariably, I get letters, oh, maybe three or four nights a week, I get letters from guys, you know, those poor, sad fools who feel that it's all happened before. No matter what it is you point out, what kind of nuttiness is particularly new or particularly uh, indigenous to our time, somebody will write and say, Dear Mr. Shepard, in the 1920s, girls wore boyish dresses and men drank near beer. The sin that was rampant in those days is very much the go on and I, you know, poor son. I am not a believer in the cyclic theories of history. I believe it's straight line all the way. <laughs> I mean, all the way. And and uh, and somebody sent a, sent a note to me. It says, Shepard, I understand you're a great collector of the the trivia. You 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 have a vast file of trivia. The the compost heap of our time. Now, when it comes to trivia, I don't. I'm not the trivia type who says, what was the theme song of the Lone Ranger? Uh, what was the bridge music used on King of the Royal Mounted? Uh, yeah, what, what's with that? What was the name of the sled that King of the Royal Mounted used? You still, I never, this is not trivia. That's just crud. 
Now, I, I'm, I'm, I'm a genuine trivia fan, and I, I mean, really dynamic trivia that's, that means something. And uh, somebody wrote, said, Shepard, pick up a copy of the current issue of Harper's Bazaar, the April issue. And I did. And I might point out now that Shepard's vast file of trivia is now, my, my old file of trivia is now lying uh, in 45 feet of water at the bottom of the East River. Because uh, I have it all right here. The current issue of Harper's Magazine <laughs> is a compendium of trivia of our time, the like of which you could not believe. And, uh, and for those of you, by the way, who from time to time have written to me and said, Shepard, you're exaggerating about the role reversal. I constantly get that from people who don't. Uh, you know, they work in nice little offices someplace. And, you know, they, they're living a nice, pretty good, straight-line life. And... And they never, they never really, they never really get out there to where it's happening. With the, can you imagine a magazine with the front cover and its its major article starts out, "Frog that fat away." <laughs> I wonder if they know what the word means. I wonder if they're aware of of what that word is a euphemism for. I suspect they do, and I think that's why it's on the front cover. It's all camp and a yard wide. So would you please give me some theme music in there, Skip, and we will read to you. Now, now, first of all, we must point out, I'm going to read to you an excerpt from a short story appearing in the current issue of the magazine aforementioned. And they aren't kidding. They're serious. of you of a literary mind, you are probably aware that nowhere does prose grow fruitier and more expensive than on the pages of the so-called women's magazines. I chose my words carefully. And now a short story entitled, Will You Speak to Anyone Who Answers? Norma hastily wolfed down the last crisp shreds of his Ralston, wiped his pale, flecked lips upon a piece of saffron terry cloth, and smiled lovingly over the candelabra at Richard as she cleared the table and shut the St. Bernard on Dean in the laboratory. Well, how are you, dear? asked Richard. Returning softly from the hall to sit on the amber couch beside him. The same, said Norma wearily. Perhaps a little more so. Richard sobbed, rose to her feet, smoothed the skirt of her emerald shift, cantered gracefully across the rug, and thoughtfully selected an album from the oaken cabinet. The music emanating from a single golden freight car of their two-track Lionel calmed them both. This, saying the vocalist insinuatingly, is a recording. The number you have reached is not a working number. If you wish to place the call again, simply dial your operator and she will be able to help you. It was their song. Quietly they do si doed and alamanded left, gliding together over carpets and ennui, dancing for two hours and seven minutes as in their happier days. In pensive silence. Andine. Andine, meanwhile, sighed deeply 
and cooled her warmish paws upon the dark tiles of the lavatory. Why is it, said Richard at 11.42 when they were tired, that you never kiss me anymore or call me Sam? Norma simply shook his ears and bad. On this point, my anxiety stems, as you know, said Richard plaintively, recalling from the bitterness of his tone, from my nephew, my sandbox, my fears of rejection. Moreover, growled Norma soothingly. Indeed. But Richard felt that once again she had driven him from her, and that for the remainder of the evening at least, a tufted, impenetrable cloud had fallen on them. Norma was preparing brandies in the ostracizer when the antique telephone rang, and he could scarcely suppress a wince of irritation. Richard listened for a long moment before murmuring into the guilt receiver. At the tone, she said at last in a voice which Norma scarcely recognized, the correct time will be 11.59 exactly. Who was it? said Norma afterward without interest. It was Agatha, said Richard fiercely. He's coming over. Opposite this short story, there's a picture of a guy whose proudest achievement is that he looks like Queen Victoria at the end of her reign, especially uh, the Queen. Yeah, I'm getting to feel like a freak, I'll tell you. It's awful. La da da da. And and I'll tell you, there is a picture in the. This is being pinned up on the wall of my my special album that I keep on my wall for all kinds of wild, great pictures. There's a picture in here of one of America's young recording stars, the great leader of college youth, who looks a little more like my cousin Arlene did like my cousin Arlene, on her bad days. Looks a little more like she did. <laughs> that great picture? So, so. I just would love to have him autograph for it, me. Oh, gee, this would be tough to be angry. Well, uh, you know, this... Uh, uh <laughs> now, if you think I'm exaggerating, I I'm serious. You just go out and pick yourself up a copy of the magazine. And uh, you will find that, if anything, I've played it under, um, usually do, because it's very, very difficult to explain certain things to people who, um, in one way or another, have not experienced the, 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 the thing that's going on. Let's put it that way. The thing that simply is going on. Uh, and there are so many things understated between the lines. And, of course, you have to, you have to, uh, have to know the language. And the language is in here. They even have a glossary of terms. It used to be uh, musicians' talk was hip talk, and now, well, it's Greenwich Avenue all the way, and a yard wide. You know, uh, speaking of, uh, of of the inability to explain things to people that they have never understood or have never experienced, there are certain things that you cannot explain. You cannot even 
evoke in people's minds unless they have experienced something remotely like it. And there are certain things that you, you, you can't. You just either you know or you don't know. Among them, I was listening today on the radio and watching television reports of the tornado, the, the, uh, the rash of tornadoes that hit southern Michigan and northern Indiana throughout uh, part of uh, Ohio and I think even parts of Illinois. Now, I, I don't know uh, anybody living in this neighborhood. I, I don't think a, a, uh, a tornado, a tornado is extremely rare on the East Coast, isn't it? In fact, I know it is. Uh, you have hurricanes, but they're very different from tornadoes. Uh, a tornado has to be experienced to really, to be even remotely appreciated for what it can do. And uh, very scary. I don't know, should I tell you a story about a couple of tornadoes? You know, some people have all their lives tried to see a tornado. Uh, I remember reading a story in Life magazine. No, a famous uh, expert on tornadoes who has written two or three books on them. You know, they don't quite know how they're caused. Are you aware of that? It's one of the great mysteries of nature, the tornado. And uh, uh, nobody quite, there's a lot of theories. Immediately I'm going to be besieged. Everybody's going to send me one theory he read in one magazine. But I can tell you, ultimately, no one is sure what really causes tornadoes. They can't genuinely predict them. There is such a thing as tornado weather. And yet tornadoes will hit when the weather is not tornado weather. And on the other hand, they will not hit when it's tornado weather. And yet, I can tell you this, you sense a tornado when you're in the vicinity of one. It's peculiar. The hair on the back of your neck starts to go up. Funny thing happens to curtains. There's, there's a strange smell in the air. I can't describe it except to say that it's there. Now, I read in Life magazine a few years ago, they had a whole series about tornadoes. They had a big, uh, big picture story on them. And uh, one of the men they quoted uh, over and over again was a guy who was a tornado hunter. He'd traveled all over the Midwest. He'd travel out into Kansas. He'd travel out in Oklahoma and Indiana and Illinois and all play, all around out there, always searching for a tornado that he, he could actually see. He had written about tornadoes. He had studied tornadoes. He had gotten thousands of photographs. People had sent him of tornadoes. But unfortunately, he was never there when one happened. And he tried like mad to be. So uh, this is that's the how, how mysterious and elusive they are. Do you want to hear about a tornado tonight, Skip? Have you ever seen one? You have. You've seen. Where did you see one? In Florida. Florida. I'll be darned. Tornado in Florida. Are you sure you're not talking about a water spout, a real tornado, or are you talking about a hurricane? Ah, well, very interesting. Well, then you know what I'm talking about. Uh, speaking of uh, bad news, this is W O R A M at FM New York. And before we go any further, we have a, an American Heritage spot here. Uh, if you have never tried American Heritage, it's a great hardcover magazine about American history. And by the way, I have been a subscriber to American Heritage, uh, usually by gift. Uh, people gave it to me very in the very beginning. I never even heard of it. All of a sudden, I started to get it, and it was in the very first issues when it was a paper, just a plain, ordinary little paper-covered magazine, a little skinny magazine about the about the thickness of New Republic, or something like, uh, oh, maybe closer to uh, The Reporter, a little skinny magazine. All of a sudden, they got to be very official with hard covers. And if you don't know anything about this magazine, I think you'll enjoy it. 
Just send the buck to American Heritage, Box 711, and they will send you a representative copy, which is a big hardcover copy, which usually sells for $3.95, actually. Uh, the address is American Heritage, Box 711, and it's $1. You send the buck and you're in business. And, oh, before we go any further, this... Uh, people are calling up all the time here. We're going to have a little party. I'm about to go to Australia. Did you know that, Skip? I'm leaving Sunday for Australia, and I will be in Australia a couple of weeks. I don't know where the rumor came out that Shepard is finally skipping out. <laughs> I'm going permanently. I'm going on a vacation. And the show will be on, so don't worry about that. I'm recording programs, I mean, if, if in case you uh, are interested in listening. But I'll be gone, and I'll, I'll, the show will remain here, though. While I am gone, there will be no sub. Uh, however, before that, we're going to have a little party down at Happiness, or up at Happiness. There's a little restaurant, a very fine Chinese restaurant up on, on Broadway, between 5 and 7 on Wednesday. And they're going to give you free hors d'oeuvres, so if you want to come up and have a great meal, uh, come up for a meal, and they'll give you free hors d'oeuvres. We have a little party. I'll play my nose flute, and I'll... I'll do a little head thumping and do my tap dance. And by the way, I, I think I may do my underwater ballet uh, that I've threatened to do so long. I may do that this week uh, at the limelight just uh, as a going away thing. I've got the tanks all set up and we've got the pipes in and everything down there. So I may do that this week at the limelight. Would you be interested in coming down and seeing it? Very, It's very good. I, it was a very big hit once, several places, Louisville, other places with this fantastic act uh, <laughs> what's that, an angry call <laughs> oh well don't worry you shouldn't talk that long to them whenever you mention role reversal you get a lot of people that get very bugged about it immediately they get excited upset uh, older people particularly the young people all know what I'm talking about uh, I, 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 all I have to do is mention it and I get 500 letters from kids from schools all around this area who can uh, more and more corroborate what I'm saying about the great reversal of roles that has undergone a tremendous impetus, a tremendous upsurge in the last year and a half. The older people don't understand it. Uh, not only do they not understand it, they keep thinking, well, it was always this way. And then they say, well, look at Oscar Wilde or some ridiculous thing like that. Oscar Wilde was one guy. We're talking about a whole society, Fred. <laughs> it's very different. Uh, but nonetheless, uh, if you're interested, you know, about uh, hearing, uh, hearing a, a thing is one thing. Seeing it is another. I suggest you pick up a copy. It's on the newsstands now. I have no commercial for it or nothing. It's just a it's camp in the yard wide. Boy. Uh, but, uh, you know, uh, that when I heard them talking about the tornadoes today, I, I thought, well, you know, maybe I ought to tell that story the time that I was caught right in the track of a tornado. This is not, this is not uh, exaggeration. You can't exaggerate a tornado. Uh, it is not a, a, an invented story. I'll immediately get letters from people saying, did that really happen to you? Yes, it did. And uh, when you live in a tornado belt, when you live in the tornado country, everybody has his own tornado stories. Uh, and strangely enough, many people who have lived in the tornado belts, right in the middle of where the tornadoes, uh, maybe 40 or 50 of them a year hit, uh, many people have never seen them because the tornadoes sometimes will come whipping down out of the sky uh, and it will lash over a, a, an area of maybe uh, a half a mile and do it all in the space of about two minutes and be gone. Just boom, and that's it. 
it's not a big uh, operation like a hurricane where a Hurricane Donna or Hurricane Fred or Hurricane Myrtle can be predicted for days and days until finally it comes and it, it sweeps over a whole section of coast and so on. A, a tornado is, is, is something that is almost alive. In fact, the first thing you think of when you see a tornado is that it is some kind of animal. It's a curious kind of animal. Uh, and it's a huge animal, and it has its own sound, and it has its own smell, and it has a kind of breath that, that exists around it. And I, I remember the first time that I, I ever saw a tornado actually in operation. I'd heard about them. Everybody talked about tornadoes. Uh, a tornado was a big thing in The Wizard of Oz. Do you remember Dorothy was picked up by a tornado and carried to the land of Oz? And it's quite possible. I can see what Frank Baum was writing about. It's quite conceivable because houses would be carried three counties uh, when a tornado was really in full swing. And I remember uh, a, a day, a tornado day. I was sitting uh, in a boat, in a rowboat. And it was a lake, a lake in southern Michigan. Now, the country has to be a special kind of country to create tornadoes. Usually, the country, oddly enough, is uh, vaguely rolling. Uh, tornadoes do not often hit, uh, contrary to popular belief, in absolutely flat country. Now, uh, it, it perhaps needs these little tiny hillocks, these little rolling hills, to break up the uh, movement or the rush of air over the earth to create that strange little whirlwind, that, that insane maniacal animal that suddenly leaps. It comes down from the clouds. It doesn't go up. It comes down. Uh, and I remember we were sitting there, myself, my kid brother, and we're fishing for sunfish. And we're sitting at the far end of a, of a soft, warm uh, Michigan lake that was spring-fed and it had that kind, you know, that kind of smell that all these Michigan lakes have, a, a smell of warm water and turtle eggs, a kind of smell of mud and cattails and hot sun and paint. And, and uh, you can smell hay off in the distance, and you can smell cows always. And when you sit uh, on the edge of a Michigan lake, the, the smell of the cow is overpowering. And there was a herd of cows Going up the going up the hill right off the offshore, just where we were sitting, and we were sitting in about oh, we must have been in about ten feet of water, uh, and down below us you could see the weeds, great flat beds of of lake weeds where we were fishing for sunfish, and it was a hot day. Oh, the temperature must have been oh, probably ninety degrees, hot, muggy afternoon, and absolutely still, and we're sitting in our little boat. We we're probably the only guys on the on the lake that day, just sitting there quietly. And, and uh, surrounding the, the, the little bay where we were fishing was a farm, a complete farm. Just went all the way around. You could see the, the, uh, the barbed wire fences, and you could see the haystacks crawling up in this great herd of, of Guernsey cattle, uh, all quietly moving down, coming down the hills to drink. And, and uh, over just near the edge of the top of the hill, we could see the farmhouse. Now, I know this country very well because we've been going to this lake for about five years. I knew it like the, the back of my hand. And we're sitting there quietly. My kid brother is lying on the bottom of the boat, and the, nothing is happening. The fish are not biting. And I'm sitting at the other end where the anchor is. And uh, once in a while, a little puff of wind would come across, skittering over, the, over that uh, flat water. It was like a mirror, just, you know, that little skittering of the wind. And then it's absolutely still. Not a sound. 
Nothing. It just lay there like that for about five minutes. The most peculiar sense of something ominous. Just like that. And way up off over in, in the east was a long, low bank of dark clouds. They had predicted rain, and it had rained a couple of times the day before, and it rained a little bit in the morning. You could see these dark clouds just sort of hanging there, dark summer storm clouds. But they didn't look particularly evil, just dark clouds. And I'm sitting at the end of the boat, Randy's down, uh, laying flat on the bottom, suddenly nothing, silence. And then, from the distance, we could hear the sound of a freight train. Now, this was not unusual, because there were... There were railroad tracks around there. There were tracks that went, uh, little spur tracks and one thing and another that led to the small towns in the area. And, and we heard this freight train, but it was a freight train that must have been going 90 miles an hour. You could hear this. And suddenly I notice, I'm, I'm sitting at the end of the boat, I notice off over the hill, I notice this long black finger waving, coming down out of the clouds and waving. Just like it was looking for something. Just a long, thin ribbon that just... It's like a snake hanging from a curtain rod. And it was flicking like it was alive. And, and this fantastic roar. And then, boom, she went straight down and began to flick on the other side of the hill. It must have been a half a mile from us. And the lake was absolutely dead silent. Not a wave, not a ripple on the water. And we saw that thing move... Uh, in a in a, uh, a kind of counterclockwise direction away from us. It was moving first towards us and then away from us. Off it went. It took about, oh, maybe a minute and a half. I said, Randy, take a look at that. Randall got up and he looked, and we could see this cloud of, of uh, dirt and debris rising from the base of this thing, which was just over a hill. We couldn't see the actual tip of it, but we just see things flying. And this great roar, this just exactly like a freight train. You could even hear the wheels. You could hear the click of the ties. And she just went off over in the direction, and we knew where it was going. There's a little town that we went to to buy worms and to buy bait and to buy bread and to buy cracker crumbs for the fish. And once in a while, we'd go in there to buy a fishing license or a cane pole or a bobber. A little town called Comstock, Michigan. And she was heading right, we knew exactly where it was. They were about three quarters of a mile on the other side of the hill. And sure enough, we hear this. There's a long shuddering sound that sounded something like somebody running along a fence with a stick. It went, and we're rowing like, man, we got to get out of here. We're rowing. Any minute now, it's going to come back and get us. And there was a great gray cloud hung where Comstock, Michigan was, and it disappeared. Just up it went. And we saw this cloud, which looked something like what we call today an atomic bomb mushroom cloud. It hung there for, oh, just, oh, just hung in the air. And we could see things just coming down, drifting down. We, were, we must have been a mile and a half away from where the tornado hit uh, the town of Comstock, Michigan. And almost instantaneously, it just seemed like uh, all, everything all happened at once, you could hear the sound of people. It was, a, it was a quiet, remember this is Michigan countryside, a quiet. You could hear people screaming. Just a whole, just off in the distance, you could hear this, this scream, just a long, like, like, it sounded like a lot of birds. 
sounded like birds, some kind of little little uh, starlings. You could just hear them. You knew it was people. And we're rowing like mad. We had a, we must have had a half a mile to row back to the dock. And by the time we got about halfway back, of course, people had all come out from the cottages. You could hear the, the, the people running. You could see cars going up over the hills. And from the distances, you could already begin to hear the sound of sirens coming from the other towns all around there. And half an hour later, we finally got back to the shore and into the car, and we drove into Comstock, Michigan, and it was unbelievable. The entire town had disappeared. Now, this town was a town of about 2,000 people, I'd say. There must have been uh, a whole couple of hundred, 300 houses. There was a, an Esso station and, you know, things like that. There was a little uh, A&P and a Kroger's and a, and a little uh, feed store and a hardware store. Just a little town. The entire town, the enti- I, I, I'm telling you, the entire town was flattened. Just flattened. And what was left was nothing but uh, the, the bases of the houses, floors. And in the middle, you'd see a piano sitting there. Or there, there, would, be, there would be a uh, foundation and there would be a chair, nothing else. Why this chair? I don't know. It would be a chair. And all the wires were down, the trees were down, and, uh, and of course there, there, were, there were tremendous a number of casualties. But immediately the Red Cross was there, but I'll never forget... That, that instantaneous, was almost like a giant bomb hit this town. And all in the space of not more than two or three minutes. No way to get out. Absolutely no way to escape, nor was there a way to predict it. Now, I'll tell you a story of, our, of a personal uh, recollection uh, where I was literally caught right in the path of one of these things. And it, it, all, it all happened in, in maybe 45 seconds, no more. And this came a couple of years later. And uh, I, I'm working in the steel mill. Now, when you're in a mill, uh, when you're in a gigantic industrial complex, you're always a little on edge anyway. You're always a little bit on edge because of the fantastic machines. Can we get a little machine music there? Oh, boy. You, you just feel that, you know, when you're working in the middle of a, of a, of a refinery. Or you're working in the middle of... Uh, a steel mill or a great coal mine, you feel forces around you that any minute now are going to completely overwhelm you, inundate you, without any reason, rhyme, or sense. It's always with you. The sound of that tremendous AC generator roaring down there, 200 yards away, turning out a million kilowatt hours. Oh, you can feel it. And those, those open hearts, breathing flame, and those fantastic blast furnaces reaching up into the sky, and the darkness and the oil. You just feel it all around you. It's just there. And you know that. And you always expect it to come from the machine. You expect the blast furnace to blow up. And it does occasionally. You expect the open hearth to blow a cork. And it does occasionally. Let me tell you about that some night. If you're really interested in the story of an explosion in the open hearth, I happen to see one one day that that I will never forget to my dying day. It was it was one of the one of the great and scary sights of my entire industrial life. It was the time that somebody uh, they charge open hearths from what they call charging cars that move along the open hearth floor and charge this open hearth. Now, if, if you can imagine, the open hearth is a kind of a big oven. That uh, that has a has a is a cooker 
it cooks the metal, you see, and they put various types of, of ingredients. I'm, I'm simplifying it. Uh, manganese and silicon and so forth. And as they, as they charge these, these ovens, they charge them just the way a, a lady is putting uh, ingredients of a cake into a batter and she puts it into the oven. Well, somebody, somewhere along the line, had left a dynamite cap back at the mine where this uh, this particular ingredient, I don't know whether it was silicon or manganese, where this particular ingredient was mined, an unexploded dynamite cap was left in this uh, this charge. And so they pushed the charge in. I must have been about, a, oh, probably uh, well, it would be a, a block and a half, a city block and a half away, just going along, running like mad, delivering my mail, when suddenly there, there, there was the shudder. You know, when you hear an explosion... Uh, you don't really hear an explosion. You feel it at first. You just go... You just felt this. And you knew something had happened because it was totally out of the experience of the kind of noises. You get to know, like a man who drives a car for years or a truck, you know all the real sounds. You know the healthy sounds. And the minute one sound that seems probably to a lot of other people just another one of the big sounds, you know when something happens. You were... And I turned around and I saw this this blast furnace, uh, the, the, the wall of the blast furnace had just caved out. And this uh, this great wave of molten lava was pouring out and this, this huge, uh, enormous tongue of gas flame was going all the way across the floor and I saw these people spreading out, running as fast as they could run. But that's another story. Uh, and so you, you're expecting this kind of thing. You know? You're always kind of expecting something to fall down on you uh, or something to explode. And here I was. I was running through the old mill, what they call the old number one mill, which was, which was built uh, earlier than the, the new mill. We, uh, the mill was divided into two or three sections. And this is like the old town. It's like being down in the, in the Bowery or someplace, you know, one of the older parts of New York. And this part of the mill was all jammed together. Uh, it was all dark corners and, and great high dark walls and uh, high tension wires and and uh, and box cars and all uh, tanks and enormous uh, conveyance uh, tracks and everything all jammed together. It's just like it's like a being under an enormous kind of elevated with all sorts of great shuttering machines on all sides of you. And I am running through this part of the mill about three o'clock in the afternoon, and it was about this time of the year, incidentally. It was early spring, just about this time of the year. And you know how when you're working along and you're, you're involved in something and it's totally involving, you know, you're, you're sorting the mail or whatever it is your job is, you get so that your mind is kind of out to lunch. Uh, you know, you're just, you're just involved in your work. You're working like mad and nothing else uh, is involving you. You know, you're just going. So I'm running along next to a boxcar, right next to this boxcar, which in turn was not more than a foot and a half or two feet away from this gigantic uh, shed, this enormous uh, metal, uh, iron, corrugated iron shed, a mill. It was really the 14-inch merchant mill, and she was laying right up against this boxcar, a whole string of boxcars, and old Shep is running along these boxcars, and off to my left was, uh, was the AC plant, and, and uh, the Ford shop was off to my left, and I had maybe, a, oh, 65 or 70 feet between me and the next buildings, and all around me were these high-tension wires bringing in this high-tension voltage into the, into the mill. And I'm running along, sorting my mail. When all of a sudden, out of the blue, without any warning, I hear an alien noise. An alien noise. It's a train coming. Strange noise. 
I hear like that. And, and something inside of me, I, maybe it was because of my earlier experience with the, with the tornado in Michigan, something inside of me, like an overload relay, went, it kicked over, and I, I, I hugged, I ducked up against the side of this freight car, I just sort of hung up against it, I looked around, waiting to see what was going to happen, I thought maybe there was a, a train coming, something was exploding, something was blowing up in the mill, I could hear the, and the ground is sort of shutting, and suddenly, over the building, directly in front of me, coming right at me, is a tornado. Woo! She just roared right over, just whoom, and I grabbed the hole of the side of this freight car. Now, you know those, those climbing irons on the freight cars they have that you climb up to the top with, those things for your feet? I hung on to those two climbing irons, and I, I plastered myself up against them. I just hung there and held on with my face to the car, just hung on. And this thing went I could hear the air shuddering. And she just went right over the building, not more than maybe, oh, 40 or 50 feet away from me. And believe me, that is much too close to be to a tornado. I can tell you that. And I looked up and I saw the roof of the building, which must have been, oh, maybe six or seven stories high, is literally being peeled off like leaves. It's peeling off these fantastically big sheets of corrugated iron, and they are just disappearing. They're going, zing, zing, they're disappearing. Whoa, whoa, whoa. They're sailing off like cards off into the distance. I don't know what these things could have done had they hit anybody. Just, uh, it just cut them right in half. But zing, they were going. And the, the, the tornado has now moved over the building, and I can hear this thing just wrenching. That you, have you ever heard a building groan? The, the building is just going, Ooh, I, hear the, I hear this thing screaming. She went right across the courtyard, and every last one of the high-tension wires and the high-tension poles came down like they were made out of balsa wood. Have you ever seen high-tension wires coming down with 30,000 volts? Let me tell you, you, it cannot be described. These transformers, one of them had a transformer, not, not more than 100 feet away from me. One had a transformer that must have weighed a ton and a half. One of these great big tank transformers. She just dropped. Boom! And landed right on a, a, a brand new Ford that was sitting there. A company Ford just, boom! And the Ford blew up. And I'll tell you, it had hit the fan. And you know what it was that had hit the fan. I could not believe it. And I, at first, I thought it was an air raid. I couldn't imagine what it was. I could, I, it, it didn't hit me right away. This is a tornado. It was as though something, some cataclysmic, some unbelievable force had hit everything. And then she just moved right across the number two AC shop, took the roof right off of it, and I saw more high-tension wires go down, and then silence. Just boom. And all you could hear then was the sound of things falling. And you could hear people. Again, you always hear people. There's always people caught under things. There are people pushed under things. There are people who have been hit. And one thing. And I hung on the edge of that freight car. I just hung to that freight car. And by the way, the freight car, during all of this thing, started to move down the track sideways. She was just absolutely moved. She must have moved 15 feet. And I just hung to the side of that son of a gun and wouldn't let go. And, and I looked around, and I had a bag of mail. These are, these are the strangest things that happen in tornadoes. I had a bag of mail. I had a regular mailman sack around me, a big leather sack. 
and uh, it had a it had a had a top on it, you know, a regular cover that you flip over, and all this. There wasn't one single piece of mail, and I must have had probably a thousand pieces of mail in there, company plant mail and all. There wasn't one single piece of mail left in that sack, just gone. Where it went, I have no idea. To this day, I don't know. But I'll never forget uh, the 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 fantastic surprise. That's the first feeling that you have is one of unbelievable surprise. And then it's all over so quickly. It is all over so quickly that uh, it's as though it just didn't happen. And that, and then after that, there is the the next feeling is the feeling of disbelief. You can't believe it. Well, I I ran I I ran around the back, and of course by now things were burning, and you could see the half of the plant, half of this building was knocked down, and the the wires had come down, and and uh, fires had been started because of the high tension wires, and one thing and another, and I ran around the back, and there sitting behind the other side of the building was the truck that was waiting to pick me up, and he had no idea this had happened. That's the curious thing about tornadoes. I came running around the side of the building screaming bloody murder. Hey, George! A tornado! Everybody's killed! Help! And he looked at me like I was out of my mind, and he wasn't more than, oh, I'd say, probably at the most, a block away from it. Uh, he just didn't know that it happened. So uh, these tornadoes, this one incidentally came right out of the lake. It came right off of the lake. The lake wasn't more, I'm talking about Lake Michigan here, the lake wasn't more than, oh, maybe uh, 75 yards from where she hit. And, of course, there are a lot of theories about that, the difference in the temperature between the water and the temperature of the air and one thing and another that create tornadoes. But if you've ever lived in the tornado area, if you've ever lived around where tornadoes are, you know something about the fear of an atom bomb because a tornado is very much like that. A tornado does, when, when there's nothing that can stand up in its path. And the things that do stand up in its path are incongruous. Uh, just as pictures that you might have seen of an atom bomb going off, some crazy thing will, will be standing there. A vase will be untouched, you know. Or, or uh, somebody's uh, uh, glass greenhouse will be untouched and uh, the, the steel mill will be blown up. You know, it's, it's peculiar. And that is the way a tornado works. Uh, there are thousands and thousands of stories. I have seen a total in my time of three tornadoes. Uh, two of them, I was very close to. The one in Michigan, uh, the one, of course, in, in the steel mill. And another tornado I saw uh, moving across the horizon one day. And uh, this was a tornado that uh, I had just come out, uh, come out from school. And uh, this tornado moved across the horizon, oh, maybe two or three miles away, and did no harm whatsoever. It was a crazy tornado. Just This was just a tornado out for a walk. And, uh, and it just went right across the horizon and disappeared up into the clouds, and that was it. Uh, had this tornado hit, this particular one that I'm talking about, had it hit uh, maybe six or 700 yards to, to the right or to the left of where it did hit, it probably would have killed a 1,000 people in, in 10 minutes. But tornadoes, uh, uh, are, you can't describe them. And I don't know whether or not uh, you reading or hearing about the tornadoes in Indiana and in Michigan have any appreciation of what they are. You know, the people who, uh, you, you've heard the news, you have no idea probably of what they are. And uh, when, when a tornado hits, I, I remember one incident uh, regarding a tornado. You know, there's always the story of the straw being driven through the six-inch pine board. That kind of thing. Well, I have my own version of that. 
for some unknown reason, my hat disappeared. Well, I had one of these hard hats, you know, these hats that they give you. Uh, this is one of these, like a construction hat. And this is the kind of hat that we used. My hat came back to me. Somebody brought it back to the mill. And my hat was found seven miles away from the steel mill. Had my name in it and everything. My hat, it just disappeared and took off. That's a, and I had no idea that it was gone. I didn't realize it until maybe uh, three or four hours later that my hat was gone. But the hat just simply, whoop, it was gone. It was found seven miles away. And uh, somebody who found it thought that was so remarkable uh, that they uh, they brought it back to the mill. And <laughs> so everybody's got his favorite tornado story. And all I got to say is if a tornado ever hits the Bronx, the Bronx will know why those gimlet-eyed people come from the Midwest. <laughs>